Hello folks and welcome to another SACPA session. SACPA acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people and the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. We pay respect to their past, present and future cultural heritage, beliefs and relations to the land. SACPA commits to assist reconciliation efforts by raising awareness of the ways past and present injustices can be reconciled. SACPA would also like to thank our sponsors for their continuing support that we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. Today, we're very happy to have with us uh, Michael McCready. Michael, thank you so much for joining us and for your flexibility. Um, I know we'd scheduled you a while ago and COVID got in the way. So I really appreciate that. Um, Michael McCready is an educator and a researcher with a focus on immersive technologies such as virtual and augmented reality. He has over 20 years of development and is driven to explore new technologies and understand their applications within business and society. He introduced one of the first VR development courses at the Lethbridge College in 2016 when he taught students to develop a mobile VR game. One of Mike's focuses is the social interactions made possible with VR and has planned and facilitated numerous VR activities that have garnered national and international attention, including the world's first full day conference held in VR merging realities. Michael, thank you so much again for joining us and we look forward to your presentation. Awesome, thank you for that introduction. Um, so I won't go into a little bit about myself, but I wanna talk a little bit about um, what we do at Lethbridge College. And on slide three, I'll talk a little bit about the START Center and our goals. So the START Center uh, is the Spatial Technologies Applied Research and Training Center and really looking for ways that we can work with organizations to help them uh, improve their workflows, their bottom line, employee safety by implementing uh, these technologies into their workflow. Over the last couple of years, since we've been um, actively focused on this, on slide four, uh, talks a little bit about the growth that we've seen um, with regards to our START Center. We brought in over $2 million through federal and provincial grants, as well as service contracts with community organizations, um, even in Lethbridge here. Uh, we're really grateful for the opportunity to work with uh, clients and organizations to help them uh, realize the opportunity that this technology will provide them. So I want to talk a little bit before we look at the use cases and the risks and those kind of things. Uh, talk about get a common lens for all of us here and, and what is virtual reality. So on slide five, um, uh, virtual reality is really about transporting you into a virtual environment, a computer generated virtual environment. And, and here on this screen here, uh, you can see one of our instructors at Lethbridge College, Allison Secor, actually demonstrating a virtual reality experience that we built for the MD of Greenview, uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later on. So virtual reality transports you to a virtual environment. And on slide six, Augmented reality, which is another terminology that we, we've heard of before, AR, is where we are overlaying virtual content or digital content on the real world. And so here's an actual example of an AR, AR application that we built for the MDO Greenview as well to talk about how some of their dancer tracks um, in Grand Cache, how they were you know, created. And then another common term that we've seen on slide seven is mixed reality. And this one's a little bit less common than VR and AR, uh, mixed reality or MR is kind of a blending of the two virtual and augmented reality in that you're taking digital content 
and overlaying it in the physical world. But where it's different than AR is that that digital content can interact with the with the physical world, um, where and you can interact with that. So here in this screenshot, you can see a person who is using a VR headset, but where it's actually got these pass-through cameras that allows them to see the physical world around them, so their desk and whatnot, and allows them to interact both with the virtual content and the physical content. And we're seeing a growth in this area here. Uh, and as the headsets become more uh, widely available that allow for this pass-through technology, uh, we'll see this mixed reality concept really explode. On slide eight, I talk about this terminology called XR, and really it's an umbrella terminology that kind of takes all these immersive technologies, VR, MR, AR, and puts them under that umbrella. So when you hear that term XR, uh, they're usually using that to define a group of these categories here. So on slide nine, um, I talk about how the technology is not new. Believe it or not, virtual and augmented reality has been around since the early 60s. So here is a screenshot uh, of a device called the Sword of Democles, who was developed, or which was developed by Ivan Sutherland. Uh, and it's a head-mounted display. Uh, and the reason it was called the Sword of Democles is because you can see that in the picture, the hanging device that kind of had to get supported um, by all these kind of chains and pulleys. So it was, it was one of the first uh, immersive de technology devices. So it's been around for a long time. Uh, and on the slide in 10 and 11, kind of kind of just blazed through those a little bit here. Just kind of shows some other screenshots of the technology over the years. So it's not a new thing, but because of some of the advent of the Oculus or, or now uh, Rift, it's really made it more consumer friendly. And as the devices such as our smartphones, like I, like I have here, have become more powerful. It's really allowed the AR con concepts to really become more mainstream. We're seeing this rapid growth. So why, do we sh why should we care about XR? So on slide 12, I show a graph, uh, and uh, I will make these slides available or, or whatnot so you can see this, the, the citation at the bottom of the graph. Here we can see some forecasts of the potential growth of AR and VR users over the next few years. And as you can see, AR is going to be a dominant force, largely in part because of, of these devices that we have here. But there are still some friction pieces of making it difficult uh, because it's quite challenging to be going like this. So as we see more head-mounted AR devices, uh, such as rumored ones from Apple and from uh, Facebook or now Meta, uh, we'll see that rise even higher. On slide 13, uh, some of the revenue forecasts that you can see uh, over the next few years is, is quite high. And again, on the AR side, uh, you see that rapid growth in, in revenue ability because the um, ability to have with augmented reality, and I didn't talk about that before, is that you still are experiencing the world around you where VR is typically a very isolating experience. And I'll talk about those uh, downsides in a few minutes here. So we're seeing that growth because of AR being more utilitarian, more ubiquitous, so that it's really a part of our life, just like the phone is a part of our life today. So before I get into all the cool things and the great things about VR and AR, I want to talk a little bit about some of the risks and we'll just kind of blaze through them because I don't want to talk uh, on the negatives too much, but we really want to at least make it known. So on slide 14, there are some physical health risks, obviously. Uh, motion sickness is a common one, particularly with virtual reality, not as much with AR. Uh, eye strain and collision with nearby objects. Again, most of these are typical risks that you'd find with a head-mounted de uh, device like a VR headset. Um, but they still are possible with some of the, the AR pieces as well. 
On slide 15, there are some mental health risks. So those are the physical ones. So some of the mental health risks can be anxiety. So as you spend so much time in this uh, virtual environment, uh, it could create a sense of anxiety in dealing with the physical and the, and the, the real world around you, as well as that social isolation. Um, now that part, uh, while it's still a valid point, it's becoming less of an issue because with virtual reality, there are so much social VR um, applications available where you can talk and interact and communicate with other people. But what that can do is creating some of those false expectations. So just as social media creates these false expectations with regards to you know, your, your anonymity and those other things like that, it can create some false expectations in the social VR space as well. So besides some of the physical uh, and mental health risks, there are some societal risks. So on slide 16 uh, and the next slide, we talk about some of those. So privacy being one of those, right? Um, privacy in the sense that when we have our AR devices and our cameras recording, we don't know what's being recorded. And when that moves to our head-mounted display, those issues just uh, exponentially increase. But also the privacy data of what we're doing, how we're moving, our eye information, all those things, um, is really a point that we should be concerned about. Abuse and harassment. So um, on, sorry, I'm just lost my track here. Uh, yeah, so abuse and harassment. So slide 16, you know, shows you the potential of behind the anonymity, people abusing and harassing. And there have been a number of known cases and uh, believe it or not, harassment and virtuality can have the same psychological effects as harassment in the physical world. There are there have been case studies. Uh, there are people who are experiencing PTSD uh, in these environments. And so because it's just a bunch of pixels and, and spatial audio and all that does not mean it does not have the same psychological effects. Uh, on slide 17, uh, the ownership of digital property. So as we start anchoring this AR content around the world, who's gonna decide who owns that digital space, right? So here's an example of a art installation that was uh, done by an artist with Snapchat in Central Park where they put this gigantic kind of balloon animal art piece. Now, the vandalism that you see there didn't actually happen. They didn't have their servers hacked, but it was to send a message as to, what if I don't want to see this art installation at the specific place, who owns this content? So that's something to really consider as we go forward here is the digital ownership of the uh, digital content. And then on slide 18, uh, echo chambers. One of the strengths of augmented reality is that we'll be able to see information that appeases to us, information that we connect with, just like on social media and on the internet, we join forums, we join clubs, we join groups that match our interests. The same possibility will be available in AR, but it will be exponential. If all of a sudden you're seeing information that relates to you, then all of a sudden your, your exposure to new ideas, new concepts is, is really limited, creating this kind of echo chamber approach. So something to be considering as we kind of go down this wearable AR technology is what are those impacts gonna be on our us being exposed to new ideas, which can be a very powerful thing. And if all of a sudden that is limited, what is that gonna to do to us as a society? So I wanna talk a little bit about uh, why VR. VR particularly right now is where most of the interest is because the technology is more advanced. Uh, AR technology requires a lot more information uh, in, and, and computer processing power that the devices just not have not met. So in VR on slide 19, I talk about this acronym 
uh, that was actually coined by Jeremy Balenson from Stanford University. So if you want to look more about this, uh, do a Google search for Jeremy Balenson. Uh, so the DICE acronym. So on slide 20, uh, D stands for dangerous. So when you're in VR, uh, experience that might be too dangerous to recreate in the physical world are a great use for using virtual reality. So here's an example of a firefighting simulation. You wouldn't necessarily want to start a fire in your home and, and practice putting the fire out, but you could do that in virtual reality. On slide 21, we talk about things that are impossible, the I of the acronym. So here's a screenshot actually from some work done by Jeremy Balenson about looking at uh, the ability to uh, reduce racial biases by putting you inside another body, right? We've heard the phrase, you know, walk a thousand miles in someone's shoes. Here you're actually in this experience in the screenshot, you're able to have a Caucasian male experience um, something as a, um, African-American female and some of their harassment that they might be experiencing. And so it's able to have us be able to do things that are impossible because we, I cannot embody another person, but through virtual reality, I can. On slide 22, uh, things that are dangerous or sort of counterproductive. So here in this screenshot, uh, you can actually demonstrate the impact of water pollution um, on the coral reef in this screenshot. You wouldn't necessarily want to go and dump a bunch of crude oil and other pollutants into the ocean, but you could do that through virtuality to show the impacts of this on, on the environment. And then the last one, E, things that are expensive. So something that would be too expensive to do. So we can travel to the moon. We've done it before. Uh, we've traveled to space quite costly. I think the, the last thing I remember for Jeff Bezos' rocket to space was like in the millions of dollars that I think you had to pay. But now we can experience it through virtuality. So these are some examples of when you might want to develop an experience in virtuality that meets the, the DICE acronym. But what about what you guys do? What about communications, marketing, uh, PR, public affairs? So on slide 24 and, and for the next few slides, I'll talk a little bit about how this XR technology is helping in kind of more of your related world. So for example, being able to experience a brand so here's a screenshot from Dior where they actually had gift boxes that were AR enabled. When you held your phone up to it, it created an elegant animation uh, on that gift box, right? So all of a sudden it elevates their brand to something uh, creative and beautiful, uh, more than just a regular kind of packaging. On slide 25, here's another example of experiencing a brand. So Coca-Cola released this new Starlight soft drink. And if you used your phone and unlocked it with an AR application, all of a sudden you had an Ava Max concert inside your Coke can uh, that you're able to experience this kind of wondrous um, opportunity. And so it, it aligned well with the brand of the Starlight brand of Coca-Cola. Slide 26, meetups, events like this, or press conferences. So here is one that we put on through Lethbridge College for EDL, Economic Development Lethbridge, where it was the wrap up for their Brighter Tomorrow campaign. And we had Minister Schweitzer join us, as well as a number of people in virtuality, which was a great op opportunity. And, and then slide 27, we can kind of just go through those quickly as well. There's similar events that we hosted in virtuality where we had people from around the world and geographic distances. So it actually closed our global, uh, our bubble into a, a nicely close-knit community. All right, on slide 29, storytelling. Right, so here's a, a VR screenshot from a VR experience called Wolves in the Walls, which is based on a, a, uh, a book. 
uh, but where you were actually able to embody the imaginary friend of the main character who we see in the screenshot here. So it can elevate storytelling to a completely new level where the participants, participants can be a part of the story, uh, which can be a very powerful way to communicate a message. Uh, on slide 30, now this video won't work, uh, unfortunately, but tourism. So we built for, and I talked about earlier, we built an experience for the MD of Greenview. They have a dinosaur track site up in Grand Cass, which is the only one of its kind in Canada, and, but they can't bring people to it because of the uh, safety concerns because it's on the side of a mine cliff. So we built uh, the experience for their tourism center that allows people to experience uh, a paleontologist for a day uh, where they get to learn about the environment, see the track sites. So great opportunity for tourism. Uh, on slide 31, journalism. So here we can see a couple screenshots from Time Magazine where they uh, showcase through augmented reality the impacts of the Amazon rainforest wildfires that were happening. I'm not sure what year this was happening, where we can actually see uh, the impact there. So journalism can be a great way beyond just 360 video, which we probably all have heard of, uh, where we can actually demonstrate in a more interactive and tangible way uh, some of the impacts of the stories that you might be covering. Uh, slide 32. Uh, again, from Jeremy Balenson, he's done some amazing research where you can use the technology to develop empathy. Some people have called virtual reality the empathy machine. Uh, and while that may not be actually accurate, where it can't create something if something doesn't exist, but it can help foster and grow empathy. So in this experience here, uh, the person, and I've actually had tried this, it's called becoming homeless where you will actually go through a, a protagonist in the story who has, for various reasons, become homeless because they can't pay uh, the rent. You can see in the screenshot there, uh, the eviction notice. On slide 33, part of the environment is where you're traveling on a bus because you, you don't have a car anymore and you're just traveling around and all you have is a backpack and you've got to watch the backpack, uh, but you've got to watch the person behind you in VR because they keep trying to stealing the backpack. And if you turn away from the person uh, in front of you, it's caused it very stressful. So actually for me, when I tried it, it created a sense of empathy that, you know, I probably wouldn't have gotten from a billboard ad or a newspaper article about uh, the homelessness concerns. So it actually, uh, for me, raised some awareness. So it's a great opportunity for that. Those are some examples kind of related in the kind of public affairs uh, vein of the opportunities for XR technology within your world. So on slide 34, but isn't it all a fad, right? It's gonna kind of go away, like, like we see these fidget spinners have gone away, right? Possibly. Slide 35, people thought about that about the internet in the early 90s. Uh, I don't know if you recall, I do, the internet uh, being born and how amazing it was, but there were a lot of people at the time who didn't think it was gonna last, but now it's everywhere, right? We can't live without the internet for good or for bad. It's a part of our lives. It's a, it's a ubiquitous kind of uh, aspect of our everyday life throughout society. And the same will happen with the extra technology. So on 36, we are about to enter the next computing revolution. If you think about technology, you know, the personal computer, the internet, mobile phones, smartphones, we are about to enter the next phase of, computer, of a computing revolution. Slide 37, I don't know if you recall bulletin board systems. I remember when I was 14, I ran one. You know, basically you connected from one computer to another. You could text chat, play text games, share files. It was amazing, right? But on th slide 38, there, it, there was an evolution, right? And, and this doesn't capture the entire evolution. Obviously there's 
there's ARPANET and DARPANET and all these things, but we see this evolution from the bulletin board systems where it was dial-up to the internet, World Wide Web, to this thing called the metaverse, which we may or may not have heard. Maybe we've heard about it because Mark Zuckerberg uh, renamed their company Meta. Metaverse is not a Facebook or a Mark Zuckerberg concept, but where did it come from? On slide 39, a lot of people are probably asking themselves that question, what is the metaverse, right? Is it something from movies? Is it something that Mark Zuckerberg came up with? What is it? On slide 40, if you haven't read this book, I highly encourage you to do so, Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. This is where the coin, or the, sorry, the term metaverse was first coined, okay? Uh, in his novel, it's a dystopian novel where people uh, kind of go into this metaverse, which is a virtual reality environment to, to play, to transact, to do different things that they couldn't do in the physical world. Slide 41, the metaverse is not spatial. Sorry, the metaverse is spatial. It's 3D. It's not just virtuality. Just like we access the internet through our computers, our Xboxes, our smart TVs, our phones, we will access the metaverse through a variety of devices, VR devices, desktop computers, AR devices, wearables, those kind of things. It's a destination similar to the internet. And a lot of people are calling the metaverse the next iteration of the internet, okay? It's not fully defined, right? People are still trying to figure out what this is, what it's gonna entail, how you're gonna do business, how you're gonna protect your identity, because identity will be a big part of the metaverse, uh, our own personal identity, our own personal avatar. How do we go from one place to another? Just like you go online, right? You sign into websites, you use your Facebook account or your Google account. How is that going to be uh, figured out? And people are still working on figuring that out. So on slide 42, is the metaverse a fad or is it fate? I am of the personal opinion that it is fate. It is coming. That train has left the station and we can't stop it. We can't deviate it. We can't, you know, we can't do anything to address that. All that we can do is be prepared for that. All that we can do is make sure that our voices are known, that we address some of those concerns I talked about, such as privacy, which is a big one, such as um, protection of our uh, identity, such as harassment and whatnot. We have to be our own advocates, our own voices for that. It is coming. So what, what is next? So on slide 43, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities uh, going forward here, right? It's more than just creating 3D content. It's about connecting. Like we're connecting here today, but in a spatial way. Imagine being able to be with your colleagues or your close friends in an environment where you have that sense of physical proximity, even if they might live in China or South America or the UK, being able to talk to someone and have you know those hand gestures that we, even though we might see me hand gesturing on here, it falls flat because it's mediated between this 2D screen, whether you're watching on your phone or on a computer, that mediated screen really deviates and takes away from the opportunity now, we've all probably experienced uh, Zoom or Teams fatigue as we've had a number of meetings and connections for work on these platforms. Looking at the metaverse or whatever it's going to be called, the spatial technologies is a way for us to communicate, to have fun, uh, to communicate to for business in a way that's not currently possible. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we ran an event at the Inventors Conference, which is in Calgary, Alberta, where we brought people to a room with VR headsets and we had facilitators from South America and United States 
lead them through a design thinking session where they were able to actually, you know, brainstorm and troubleshoot together using sticky notes in VR uh, and be able to kind of adjust them and work together and put them into the, the groupings and the swim lanes that we probably have experienced as we've done similar activities. You know, it allowed us to recreate uh, more realistically that physical interaction of being in the same room together and, and working with sticky notes and, and talking and communicating where we don't don't quite get that same environment, that same experience through a uh, you know a Zoom or a Teams call. So the future really um, similar to the program. So I also teach at Lethbridge College in our virtual and augmented reality program. And our tagline for the program really I think should be the tagline for us as we enter this new computing revolution. And that tagline is the future is at limit is as limitless as our imagination, right? If you can imagine it, uh, you can create it. And I encourage you as you, in your various aspects of uh, public affairs work that you do, whatever vein that is in, I encourage you to think about how can this technology uh, improve my way to communicate? How can this technology improve my way to um, connect with my audience, right? I think that you'll be surprised at how wonderful uh, it is to be able to bring your potential audience, bring your audience closer to you through these experiences. Um, and on slide 44, um, so the START Center at Lethbridge College is always looking for opportunities to collaborate, to work together, to consult, to, to share ideas. So feel free to learn more about START at lethbridgecollege.ca slash START. Uh, and if you kind of have an idea already in your mind, hey, I want to do X, Feel free to complete the uh, client intake form uh, that I have on the on the screen there. Uh, I think that you'll be uh, surprised at what the possibilities are. Uh, give you another quick example. We have one of our students who's working with a filmmaker out of Edmonton who they've created a number of art installations uh, where it takes well-known artists art art from like Van Gogh and Picasso and puts it into an immersive environment uh, where they can actually experience it more in 3D. Uh, while well, our students working with them to create an augmented reality uh, add-on for that experience to promote that. Uh, there are lots of opportunities and love to just chat with you about what those opportunities might be and how this technology can help you. Uh, so I, that's all I've got for my presentation today. I do apologize if I went through it a little bit fast here, but uh, would love to chat if you have questions available or if not, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I don't have those there, but if you look Mike McCready up on Twitter or LinkedIn, you'll find me and I'm always willing to chat afterwards as well. Excellent. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for your presentation and for being so succinct in explaining these new technologies to us. Um, we've got quite a few questions in the queue, so I'm going to actually jump right in. Uh, sure. Mark and Karen, I'm not sure if it's both Mark and Karen or just Mark or Karen. Um, <laughs> exciting and many positives. How about the potential negative impact, especially on youth? The internet and social media have already had great negative effects on the youth. Kids sequestering themselves in their rooms, playing video games, or on Facebook, Instagram, etc., instead of interacting in person with friends or exercising out in the fresh air. Will not virtual or augmented reality not contribute to these problems? I think you touched on it a little bit, but. Yeah, so I think there's a possibility. So VR and AR, I think, are treated differently in that case. Uh, where AR typically is less isolating. Um, and so things, for example, like Pokemon Go has been a huge success for getting people to 
explore their outdoors. And the company that actually makes Pokemon Go, Niantic, that's really their mandate to create experiences to explore. So I think AR is less on that negative side, but uh, some potential, but more so on the VR side. So uh, yeah, definitely with VR, the potential exists for uh, you know a, a similar approach that we find with social media. I've got teenagers and I can totally appreciate the challenges of that that provides with us. And I think one way that we can look at addressing that is preparing and teaching our youth uh, now, uh, even before maybe they have an Oculus Quest headset, of the kind of risks and, and the kind of limitations that they, they need to kind of put in place with themselves uh, with regards to being in that environment. Uh, on the flip side with the, the exercising piece, I think, I think that the uh, virtual reality technology, while you might not be exercising outdoors, I think it has a potential huge benefit for those who might otherwise not be so inclined to partake in exercise activities. There's some studies out there about how virtuality can block pain receptors in our brain. So, and it's being used uh, with burn victims in dentist office, et cetera, to uh, mitigate those effects of, of the pain. That also applies to physical fitness. I remember a few years ago, I, I went to one of the local VR arcades and I played a game that required me to uh, shoot arrows and get up and down and move around. And I, I just played that whole hour and I didn't realize until after I took the VR headset off how exhausted I was. Uh, and so I think while it might not be exercising outside, it can have a positive impact on those who might be sitting on front of their couch playing Xbox. If they're in VR, they're moving. They're getting that physical activity and there's, there's huge gains for that weight loss and that, that healthy lifestyle. Um, our next question, and more of a comment, Kurt Peterson, the term take a trip and never leave the room used to be related to drug use. Now it can be done with VR and could help people see the world without much of a carbon footprint. What are your comments on that? I totally agree. Um, again, I talk about the Inventors Conference that we helped uh, organize a special event at. We had speakers who uh, did not have to leave uh, California, who did not have to leave Brazil, who did not have to leave their various locations, but they were able to still engage and present with their audience in a, a more interactive way. Uh, so I think that carbon and actually I wrote an article on LinkedIn a number of years ago about the uh, environmental benefits of virtuality. So I totally agree. And on a, on a related note, uh, it's being used to help those who are suffering from dementia, uh, being able to allow them to experience uh, their homeland, right? Their home, uh, whether they grew up on a farm or a different city and be able to see that in a 360 environment to try to stimulate some memory. So I think it's a great opportunity for those who maybe are, are home-ridden, who are not able to travel, to be able to experience uh, the world around them. So in the creation of, of the social media platforms, there was, there was sort of these, these, these ideas of how it should be, and then it came to reality, and there was all these negatives that came out, or things that weren't, that weren't meant, or weren't, they weren't created for that. And, and it was sort of hindsight, and technology tends to take on a world of its own and a, a life form on its own that, that's outside of what the creators had thought. How is that going to uh, work for AR or VR for that matter? Do we know some of those already? Are we thinking about that? Have we learned from social media platforms in that way? 
That's a, that's a really big question. Because uh, I think that that, that, and that's an important question. You know, if anyone's ever read or watched the film Ready Player One, uh, th that can kind of give you an example. So IOI being the big bad company who wanted to, you know, I remember the one line in the in the film was, you know, we can get up to 80% of screen space for ads before we induce uh, seizures. That was their goal. How much ad space can they take off in that virtual environment before it has a negative effect? And, and, and I think that that is something that we uh, need to be aware of because that's going to continue, I think, to happen, right? And we we need to uh, not just be aware of that, but we need to be vocal about that. Uh, so that ad piece is one aspect there. But I think uh, one of the other things that we need to consider is how is identity? And I think identity is going to be a big part of that. How is that going to be um, portrayed and protected? Um, you know, on current social media platforms, anybody can create an avatar or sorry, an account, throw a, you know, a silly avatar up in there and then they are just as an anonymous person. Is that going to be something that uh, continues to happen in virtual reality, or are we going to have more of our identity tied to a physical identity uh, using things like blockchain technology? I think there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I unfortunately don't have all those, but I think one thing that we need to do as potential consumers of this is to uh, do our own research and to constantly question. Yeah, and if you look at the way that Russia is influencing or claims that Russia is influencing through social media, uh, voting, you know, patterns and, right? It can get quite out of hand, I'd say. Um, totally. Uh, our next question comes from Lewis Short. Thanks for sharing this thought-provoking presentation. Would you elaborate on the work done with businesses to improve their workflows, etc.? Is this similar to the learning method, which is in quotation? Sure. So. Uh, I'll give you an example of a, I can't particularly share the client's name because of an NDA, but we're working with a, a energy company to help improve their uh, training processes. So currently their training typically makes up of, of printed brochures as well as some hands-on training, which is limited because they can't do it very frequently because of the, uh, the logistics around uh, the hands-on training. So we're creating a training experience in virtuality uh, for this company to be able to provide um, a training procedure for a fairly dangerous procedure uh, that they can do in virtuality uh, numerous times, not just once when the plants are shut down. So that's an example where we're looking at adding this into a company's existing workflow to improve uh, efficiencies as well as to uh, improve employee safety. And one of the things that when we and one of the things that we do when we develop these training scenarios, and that's a big kind of request. And when we see uh, adoption of virtual reality technology. It's because of training. Uh, we leverage our uh, learning experience designers at Lethbridge College who have a lot of experience working with faculty and staff to create um, well thought out learning experiences. So we work with them uh, to develop the experience and then we, we build it in virtuality. How effective are those to real life? Like for example, you have that picture of that woman um, um, dousing a fire. How effective is that in terms of the real life experience? Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I could provide afterwards a number of research articles that talk about the um, effectiveness of these hands-on training experiences in virtuality. I don't have the numbers off, off, off the top of my head, but they are highly effective. I'll give you a quick anecdote. Uh, so there is an experience I tried where it was 
I don't remember exactly what it was for, but it was about replacing an, an electrical component in a circuit board. Uh, and there was a danger aspect to that. And I went through that and I was demonstrating that to some um, potential clients at a conference. And I remembered every single step and I'm not an electrician. So if I'm able to remember those steps because of, you know, we, we are spatial creatures, right? We need to do things. We, we, we talk about active learning, right? There's no better way besides physically doing it, which, you know, can be dangerous. There's no better way to instill that active learning than through virtuality because you are, you are um, firing a number of senses, right? Sight, sound, uh, physical movement, uh, which is really helping it to be reinforced in our brain. You mentioned some health, um, both health risks in terms of seizures and health benefits in terms of dementia. Are there any other examples of how this could be used in terms of health benefits or negatives on health? Sure. Sure. Uh, another one that I've, I've talked about in other conferences is, for example, um, those who experience an eating disorder. So more of a psychological health concern. Uh, uh, some medical professionals are using uh, virtuality to help kind of help these people experiencing an eating disorder to get beyond the uh, stigma of eating in public. So what they would do is they would put them into a virtuality environment, which would be in a restaurant, and it would have them walk through the mechanics of eating a meal at a restaurant, right? While it's not a real life physical experience, the brain has, and, and if you haven't experienced virtuality, you might not know what I'm talking about, but the brain has a way of tricking and convincing us that it is somewhat real, but it allows them to practice that exposure therapy in a safe way and then allow the uh, psychologist to respond to those uh, feelings right when they happen. Uh, which is which is proving successful. Um, Knut Peterson has a very similar question. Can you talk a little bit about the benefits of VR and AR can have in the healthcare field and age-related uh, care? Sure. Uh, so I'll talk about one project that we're working on right now. Uh, it's called the Caregiver Project. Uh, we're, it's funded through Alberta Innovates. We're working on it with a company in Calgary called Red Iron Labs. And what this one is about is getting in that dementia vein, but more so for the caregivers, uh, both the formal caregivers, such as healthcare aides and nurses, and the informal caregivers, such as family members. So when we were working on this project, uh, we discovered that there's a high turnover rate in the dementia care area because of um, you know, the uh, abuse and the physical alteration sometimes and the verbal alter altercations that they might have because uh, every if you've never experienced anyone ha has dementia, every day is different. So we were building this VR uh, training scenario that allow caregivers to practice and be prepared for the uncertainty of helping uh, clients with dementia. That's one example. Another example in a similar vein done by a company out of the United States, I think, called uh, Embody Labs. Uh, she, this, the founder of this company, noticed how her mother was being treated poorly at a care facility. Uh, and she wanted to create a empathy experience for the caregivers. And so what she did is she developed um, an experience that not only provided the, a way for the uh, caregivers to experience what it's like to have dementia, but also uh, degenerative eye disease, which her mother also suffered from, uh, and, and allowed the caregivers to realize that, you know, this person is not being belligerent because she's a jerk. Right. She's acting that way because of the challenges that she's experiencing, the difficulties uh, in seeing and whatnot. And it 
at work to shift their um, uh, feelings and their opinions. And so that's another great example of how it can be used to create that sense of empathy, right? Uh, which is a really powerful use for that tool. Uh, next question comes from Laura Scholl. Has the uh, Lethbridge College reached out to the Truth and Reconciliation and or Indigenous people to incorporate the empathy benefits in these techniques? That's a great question. We, I have had some uh, preliminary conversations with some of our Indigenous staff at Lethbridge College uh, about, about some similar concepts with that. Um, we're, we're currently at a stage right now where we're just... Uh, we're growing so quickly, we don't have the capacity yet. So it's still on our radar to look at that. I think uh, there are some really good opportunities, both from the uh, empathy place, uh, place, but also about the learning in place uh, concepts from the indigenous people. So uh, I think there is some huge opportunities that we, we that are untapped, but we are looking at exploring once we have some more capacity. Uh, Bridge City News, you mentioned students working with filmmakers with VR and creating the creating those 3D pieces of work. How important is, the, is this tech for businesses who are looking to integrate it? You know, when we think about, you know, we think about the, uh, the internet, we think about marketing and branding and communicating with our clients. There's a lot of noise on the internet, right? There's a lot of uh, noise that you have to cut through to get to your potential uh, clients, to your potential consumers. This technology has a way of cutting through that uh, because it's right now at a current stage where it's still viewed as novel in the sense that not everybody has it, okay? Everybody has a website, right? Everybody has uh, this presence online. So finding, being found online is getting more difficult and more difficult every day because you know, there's the saying, if you don't on the first page of Google, you don't exist. Uh, well, if you do a search, any kind of a search, you'll notice that there are millions and millions of page results in that uh, search result. So having a technology that is a bit more of a cutting edge, a bit more new, has a way for you to be able to cut through some of that noise there. Uh, Snapchat, for example, is a great opportunity. And that's the for that one example that I've mentioned with that student and that filmmaker, we're using Snapchat to create the experiences and that's what we were using for the town of Grand Cash. And, and if you look at some of the um, statistics from Snapchat, they're growing exponentially um, because of the, the simplicity, but also the ability to connect, not just the experience, but connect it to a store. So a lot of companies are using it for retail promotion, virtual try-ons as an example, being able to try on a watch or shoes and be able to click a button and buy that right away is something that we're seeing rapid adoption across the retail spectrum. It'd be great during COVID, that virtual try-on. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, Bev um, Mundell, are any med schools using VR to teach surgery, et cetera? I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, I would be surprised if there wasn't, but I don't know off the top of my head. I do know, for example, that Bow Valley College is using it to help uh, teach some of their nursing students. When we, and actually when we're done our caregiver application, we will be rolling it into our nursing students because they do have a uh, dementia care uh, module that they work through. But as far as from a surgery perspective, I don't know any, but I would be surprised if there wasn't. 
Uh, and Buff has another question. Are firemen or firewomen being trained using VR? What about police in terms of de-escalating situations? Are they using it? That's a, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, we, we have been having a number of uh, research projects with some of our justice studies instructors and our communication instructors uh, looking at uh, de-escalating uh, using a 360 video. Uh, primarily for our, our justice studies students, we are in conversations with the Lethbridge Police Service to look at ways to integrate uh, immersive technologies into their training, both from a de-escalation perspective, but as well as some other um, more technical training, which I can't share too much more about because we're actually have a meeting with them, I think, next week. Uh, but yeah, there's huge opportunities from that de-escalation uh, perspective, and we're exploring that with our local police service. Um, Lori Schultz, would you comment on the education programs, diplomas, and or degrees available at the Lethbridge College? Upon graduation, where would these students find employment? What would the wage and salary look like for those jobs? Sure. So there's a, in the, strictly in the, in the immersive space, there's a number of programs that we have at Lethbridge College. So obviously there's the virtual and augmented reality certificate program, which I teach in. It's a one-year certificate. Uh, we also have an architectural animation technology program, uh, which is a two-year diploma, and that's more so on um, creating architectural renderings, but ha that have an animated component to it, whether it's a, a walkthrough or a flythrough, uh, is still an immersive in nature. And then obviously there are a few others that are less tangent, you know, more tangential, such as our digital communications and media program, which does do some work with 360 video. And then our multimedia production program, where it, while it's not strictly immersive, there are some uh, immersive components to that. Speaking about the virtual and augmented reality program, because that's the one I know the most about, um, that one uh, covers a wide gamut of, of topics such as uh, programming and 3D development and interaction design experience, augmented reality, et cetera. And, and in that program, they have the skill sets that uh, could land them in a number of different opportunities. Uh, one being uh, contracting with companies. And, and that's kind of the area that we're seeing the most growth right now. If you recall back, I use the analogy of the internet. So we're at the same spot where the immersive technology has not gotten to the point where organizations have immersive tech teams, right? But they do have web teams. So for example, at Lethbridge College, there's like three or four people that I think work on the college's website. We see other organizations like that. It will get to that point where we see uh, either um, dedicated professionals for immersive technology or where existing professionals are upskilled for that technology. But in the meantime, we're seeing a lot of our graduates uh, work on contracts with companies such as Red Iron Labs. One of the things that we're really proud about at the Start Center is that through some of the grants I mentioned in my earlier slides, we're able to hire students and grads. And so actually one thing that we're really excited about is out of this graduating class that's graduating this month, we're going to hire one of our students on a fully paid one-year internship to work within our start center on a number of projects and we're doing that again the following year as well as well as hiring some current students uh, which is really exciting because we we do believe uh the in the value and the power that students bring uh to projects through a different lens that they look at so right now we're seeing mostly contract work as well as uh, the potential of starting their own company i know a couple of our students are really interested in creating uh, uh, games, which we, while we don't strictly teach game development, the skills that they are taught 
could be applied to creating games. And so they're looking actually at applying for some grants to uh, take their game to the, that they worked on for their final project to the next level. Great. Um, um, Hanny Mundell, at Leffers College, when you, when you develop versus experiences developing empathy, are you in consultation with psychologists? That's a, so that, that's a good question. So we haven't specifically developed any uh, applications that are strictly for developing empathy. Um, the one that we are working on is might, that might be the clo most closely aligned is that caregiver project where it's to help caregivers better be prepared for working with clients with dementia. We did consult with a number of professionals, both from our nursing faculty, they work really closely with us, but also with care facilities throughout Alberta and Calgary and Edmonton to ensure that the scenarios that we were presenting, because it's a scenario-based experience, that they were uh, valid and accurate. So while we weren't really building empathy, we did kind of consult with professionals in that area. And any of the projects that we work on, uh, for example, the one for the energy company, we work really closely with their energy technicians as well to make sure that the information that's being shared is valid. Because that's the one thing, whatever the end result is, it's always gonna be in an area that as a developer, we have little or no knowledge about. So it's very important to work with professionals from that area uh, to ensure that the experience is developed correctly. Knut um, Peterson, the COVID pandemic probably sped up VR and AR technology and the use of it. Have you seen any downsides to the speed in which that has occurred? Uh, yeah, so definitely it has uh, dramatically. There are, you know, I remember a few years ago wanting to develop a social VR event platform uh, I thought that there would be some opportunity. This is before COVID uh, and then COVID hit and there are literally dozens, right? So people are trying to capitalize on that. So I, I totally agree with that statement. I think probably, and, and I don't know for sure, but my guess, my, my estimation of some of the challenges of this rapid adoption probably would be for us as a society to not truly consider the ramifications, right? What does this really mean? Um, and, you know, from a, from a uh, social interaction perspective, from a health risk perspective, I think that that has uh, maybe made us not as considerate of those because of the rapid adoption. Um, Mark and Karen, are there platform technologies involved that would prohibit free use or access to such technologies? I'm not sure if I understand the question, so can you repeat it? Yeah. Um, are there platform technologies involved that would prohibit free use or access to such technologies? So if I understand, I th there are some things that I think are challenging. And right now, uh, if we think about the access technology, so uh, VR headsets, smartphones, those kind of ways that we access the technology, uh, it's really fragmented right now, right? We, you know, we, I use the internet analogy a lot. The internet, even though it's fragmented, it's all connected, right? I can go from one website to another website to another website. That doesn't really exist right now. If I wanna go from one experience to another experience, that doesn't really exist. I'd have to hop out of it, go into the other one. There are also some uh, challenges from a device perspective that are creating these barriers. So for example, Oculus or Meta, uh, the, the Quest headsets, they've got their own store 
for software. Other headsets have their own store. Other headsets have their own store. Um, there's not a commonality piece there. So if you want to develop, you got to develop for these different devices. Um, and often, it, you know, it's hard to go from one uh, device to another. So there are some challenges both in a software connection infrastructure, but in a device infrastructure. Again, I, you know, I talk about how when we access the internet, I can access it through my phone, my Xbox, my computer, my smart TV, no problem. But that's not quite the same paradigm right now with uh, immersive technology. Uh, if I want to access AR, I have to have an AR device. If I want to access a different experience, I have to have a device that supports that. So those are some of the challenges that we're facing right now is how do we create a true ecosystem that allows this hopping from one platform to another seamlessly, which doesn't currently exist. Uh, Kurt Peterson, politically speaking, VR and AR technology seems to be an obvious opportunity to impress voters. Have you seen examples of this? I have not. I think, I think you're right, though. I, I think that there is an opportunity there. Probably, you know, I, I think if I was to make an estimation without actually doing any research, I probably would guess that would be on the augmented reality side. Even though the virtual reality hardware is more sophisticated and more advanced, uh, the number of people with VR headsets, even though it's growing, uh, largely due because of Oculus Quest or Facebook MetaQuest, uh, it still is a small fraction compared to those who have AR-enabled devices. So I would guess if I was to do a quick search, I'd find more AR uh, experiences that support uh, that voter kind of communication, which I, I don't know of, but I, I would be surprised if there wasn't. Okay, that was it for our Q&A today. Um, thanks again. And before we wrap up this session, um, do you have a take-home message for our viewers, please? Sure, I do. I think if I was to leave any parting words, it would be uh, don't let the risks turn you away from it. I think the op if you think about the internet, there's, there's a lot of risk with it, but there is so much potential that it's created by allowing us to know and, and learn about different cultures and connect with people. Don't let the risks turn you away from this immersive technology. Uh, there are there are huge advantages of that. I think with the risk, it's just about being aware of them. And also, I encourage you to experiment. Right off the bat, uh, you can download AR apps for free on your phone if you've got a more modern phone, whether it's through Snapchat filters or some other AR apps. I encourage you to explore the opportunities that that might have. And, and feel free to reach out to me, uh, even if it's just a chat. Uh, you know, I'd love chatting about this. Uh, I will do it anytime, all the time. Uh, and feel free to chat with me because I think that this this train is coming. It's here, and the sooner we become more informed and better prepared, the better we'll be when it's full steam ahead. Excellent. Thanks so much for your time today, and thank you for everybody who joined in. Um, and just to remind you that next week we have our annual general meeting. Um, if you would like to join our meeting, you need to register. You can do so by contacting us through the website or DMing us on Twitter or sending a message on our Facebook platform. Um, wonderful. So, Michael, you have the honor of our last session for this season. And uh, Thank yeah, you. thanks very much.